This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode four of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that examines each and every life as though it were a blueprint, a path, a journey that we're all on, and by looking at how other people are progressing on this journey, it can offer us pearls of wisdom for our own journey, because we're not in this alone. On one hand, we are. This is only our journey. No one can have our path for us. And yet, we are working tandem with everybody else who's on the path. And being in the presence of those who love something, who are passionate about their path, can only help raise where we are on our path. This week's guest is that kind of person. Cliff Fonseca is the creator owner, and head coach of Jiu-Jitsu Nation based out of Smyrna, Tennessee. What I find fascinating about Cliff's journey is just how similar it is to many movies that we've watched. He lives a true Star Wars, Harry Potter, maybe even Kill Bill-esque adventure of discovering the thing one loves chasing after it with all one's might, and then discovering the teacher, the sensei. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want there to be any spoilers. I would say even if you are not traditionally interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu in your life, I would offer this as an excellent character study in personal growth, in overcoming fear, and the ability to step into discomfort to keep learning. Cliff's bio says, Professor Cliff Fonseca is one of the first two Americans to go from white belt to black belt under the instruction of Master Luis Palajares. In addition to his already impressive competitive career, Professor Cliff continues to compete at the highest levels and ranks amongst world-class competitors in order to keep his abilities and skills sharp. These competitive opportunities allow Professor Cliff to provide students in Rutherford County and across the nation with the highest level of quality jiu-jitsu instruction. Professor Cliff's goal is to make a difference in the lives of families in our community by empowering them with self-confidence and perspective through the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu slash Gracie jiu-jitsu. Professor Cliff leverages his experiences in life and competition to help students achieve their goals on and off the mats and to cope with the difficult times in life. Professor Cliff has achieved the following awards and more throughout his extensive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Gracie Jiu-Jitsu career. He was a 2015 Kumite Invitational Gold Medalist, a 2015 IBJJ Atlanta International Open Absolute Silver Medalist, 2013 Kumite Invitational Silver Medalist, 
a 2008 IBJJ Pan Am gold medalist, a 2008 EGO Pro Invite Absolute Champion, 2005 Gracie National Pro Circuit gold medalist, a 2005 Gracie National Pro Circuit Absolute gold medalist, and a 2003 IBJJ Pan Am bronze medalist. I truly enjoyed this conversation. It's focus on the journey of life along with personal growth, and I hope you will enjoy it too. As always, if you want to support Epic Ordinary Lives, the easiest way to do that is to subscribe and then write a review on iTunes. Currently, at the time of recording, I'm up to seven reviews. A friend once said to me that most podcasts never get more than 10. So that is the easiest method of supporting the podcast. And if you want to take it one step further, you can always go to epicordinarylives.com and click the Amazon banner that is at the top of each episode. That just takes you to Amazon and you can shop as you normally would for whatever it is that you you need on Amazon. And whatever you purchase, having clicked that banner, offers me a small percentage back. So that's a way that doesn't cost you anything extra, which is another way to support the costs required to generate this weekly podcast. Any and everything is just so appreciated, including just you listening right now. The student population at Jiu-Jitsu Nation goes from 5 years old to 58 years old. And if you find yourself listening to this and going, man, I kind of would like to check out Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a special code which will offer you 30 free days at Jiu-Jitsu Nation. 30 free days. Very exciting. Again, that is available at the end. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Cliff Fonseca of Jiu-Jitsu Nation, part one. I am sitting here with a friend and I will say a teacher, a coach that I have known probably since 2005 probably correct so it's been many a year but i have not seen you that much since a very intense time period this is the time period where i dove into brazilian jiu-jitsu a love that i still walk with me day to day even though currently i'm not practicing it because to be quite honest it, it was just it was a beast it's the kind of thing you either commit a hundred or maybe eighty percent to or you, you best probably, st- and maybe you would have opinions on that. But before we get rolling, I'm sitting in front of Cliff Fonseca. How do I pronounce your last name, actually? I've- it's it's Fonseca. Fonseca. So yeah. I'm, I'm here with Cliff Fonseca. Who are you? Man, that's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out every day. Hey, right? <laughs> well, I mean, currently I, I teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I own a gym in Smyrna, Tennessee, uh, Jiu-Jitsu Nation. I wear a bunch of hats, so you know I keep the doors open. I uh, I pay all the bills. I, I teach the main classes. Teach the other teachers. Uh, so, so within a day, I, I do uh, lots of different things, the day to day stuff. So, and other than that, man, I'm just a, a guy on a on a crazy journey, uh, trying to figure out who I am and 
and and where I'm at. <laughs> Which is what any and all of us are are constantly trying to do, whether we're cognizant of that or not. Probably, sure. but for, before we continue, and and I like what you said, you've got a lot of hyphens next to your name, right? Right. You you deal with the management aspects, the business aspects, as well as the fact that you are a jujitsu phenom yourself. So what is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Let's just define that for somebody who might be listening that doesn't know about it. You know, I I always viewed Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu like, um, it's kind of like the crocodile hunter. You know, th- this dude knew how to handle lots of different animals without hurting the animals, but more importantly, without hurting himself. And to me, that's what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. It's, you're learning how to handle another human being without hurting them if you don't want to. And most importantly, without hurting yourself, obviously the end result could be, could be bad for the other person. But, but to me, that's kind of, kind of sums it up. You know, you're really just learning how to manage that other person while receiving the least amount of damage in the process. And it's a grappling art when, for those that are not in this world, when they hear jujitsu, they may think of flying crane kicks and backwards rainbow leaping sidekicks or something, but this is grappling yeah it's it's like a wrestling art you know we focus on you know choke holds and and uh arm bars and a lot of joint manipulation and stuff like that which is a lot different than like you know most people may have seen a keto or something like that but mm-hmm. if you've never put your eyes on on jujitsu you, you have to to understand it you know i mean but the closest thing would be like yeah if you've seen a high school wrestling match you're scratching the surface yeah if if and and so many elements of wrestling do well in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but Absolutely. then you add the component of choking or attacking a joint or all the different ways you're, you're actually, there's a focus beyond just pinning another person. Yeah, absolutely. The end, the, the end game is to c- catch the submission. You know, the, the object of Brazilian jiu-jitsu is if you find yourself in a situation where you have to defend yourself to basically pick the other person apart. I mean, if you break the arm, you, you know, now you, you have an advantage, you know, you, you twist the knee, you have an advantage. So you're, you're trying to tip the fight into your favor the whole time versus like, you know, trading punches with someone who's 50, 60 pounds heavier than you, you, you may connect, but they may connect too. And you, you definitely don't want to trade strikes with someone who's much, much bigger than you. So, and it, and it seems like you don't want to wrestle with someone larger than you either, you know, but there's a there's a strategy for for all of that, and that's a great transition actually for how I even heard about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, I was in high school in Heidelberg, Germany, on an army base. That's where I went to high school, and movies arrived on base later than everywhere else. Perhaps months later, we wouldn't get every movie. We wouldn't get every. You definitely couldn't watch all the normal channels. But there was a magazine, and it was like an MMA magazine. I, I can't remember right now exactly what it was, but it was talking about this guy named Hoist Gracie, this Brazilian guy who had competed in a no-holds-barred tournament where he had defeated a guy, Dan Severn, I think is the, the article that I read about, but this guy that outweighed him by, what, Gracie probably weighed, what, 170 pounds? Yeah, if that. Yeah, If that. Small, yeah. And he, this ability for the smaller person to defeat the bigger person, that is really what got me looking into this. That is exactly why I'm in it. I, I was always interested in, in martial arts growing up. You know, my uncle 
taught uh, traditional martial arts for years. Uh, he was real big into Jeet Kune Do. He, mm-hmm. he wrote some articles for like Black Belt Magazine, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so he got me really interested. And then, but Hoist Gracie was like, when I saw that, I was like, I want to know that. You know, what, what is he doing? Because it, he sold the world. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't argue anymore. There's, you couldn't deny what was happening out there. You know, it wasn't, wasn't choreographed. You know, you, you pit lots of different types of styles together. And if you were not aware of what he was doing, you were going to find yourself in trouble. So when I saw that, I was, my, my story is pretty similar to everybody else's, you know, Hoist Gracie. Uh, yeah. Okay. Where do we find that? You know, and, and you just couldn't find it. That was the problem when it first came out. It was like, what, 94, 95? Some, early yeah, 90s. definitely early 90s, yeah. Yeah, and there was just no one around teaching it. And so that that was the most frustrating part, was you couldn't just open up the phone book. It was phone books back then. You just couldn't open up the phone book and, and find it. Yeah, it was almost like a, a magical unicorn art or something that it was... It, that's the cool thing about so we're talking about locking two people in a cage and you referenced all the different styles because back in the day you probably if you're listening even if you're not in this world you've probably seen MMA and everyone is pretty good at everything now but it used to be karate masters versus Jeet Kune Do practitioners versus a, a judo guy versus a taekwondo guy and there's such a level of truth in what happened, like you say, it was undeniable. If right. you put two people in there <laughs> with no time limit, there will be a, a, def, a definitive winner. Right. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. And, and to watch, uh, more importantly, to watch him survive. I think that was the cool thing because there was so many, there was a couple fights that were just really, really, I mean, he, he went to the hospital immediately afterwards, but he was in the fight, you know, as someone who was, outweighed him by 60 70 80 pounds and when you saw these two individuals standing next to each other you couldn't imagine how he was going to come out of this right you know because we had never seen anything like it before and so i i I think it was just i think it was something that just captivated the world you know now you look and and everyone's a a, an elite level mma fighter everything yeah yeah they do it all they box muay thai wrestling jiu-jitsu some people are specialists and, you know, we love to watch them, right? I, I still root for the jiu-jitsu guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really follow the UFC or anything like that. I have a few guys, like when Penn came back and did that fight, you know? I, yeah. I, 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 with the age, you know how it's going to go. And that's that's really all it was, was the age. But you still want to watch. So I have a few favorites that I like to get in there and check out, but I don't follow it as much as I, as I do like jujitsu. I really follow the sport there. Um, mostly because, you know, you have to study it, you know, to stay relevant student of the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in coaching, you have to study. Well, I want to get into your path and I, I want to begin by explaining how I crossed paths with you in the first place. So I, uh, in Heidelberg, Germany, you mentioned, the ability. So we've been talking about the ability for a smaller person to survive or even defeat a bigger person, which if you're listening and you're not even interested, at least you haven't been interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I would offer that as a reason to check this out for that very purpose. But so being a, a fairly tough yet nerdy kid growing up that would against a 220 pound linebacker in 
high school, I would get annihilated. It just was not a, that's not a fair game. You talked about trading punches. If you stand 20 feet away from a guy that's six foot two and I stand 20 feet away, that will not go well for me typically. And so I was interested in training, went to MTSU for college and immediately Googled what Brazilian jujitsu options might be available. This was 2005. Like you said, even though we perhaps weren't using phone books at this time, there weren't many options, especially in a a medium-sized town like Murfreesboro. And yet there was. There was a gym and it was in a shopping mall. It was literally inside. Do you remember what store you were next to? You know, it, it, it used to be the arcade. So what happened, the arcade, remember they were going to do the expansion on the mall. And so one of the first things they did was clear out a few stores because that back area was one of the areas they were going to expand on. So the arcade went first. And when that cleared out, they were like, look, we've got like nine months where this thing's just going to sit here. And I had done electrical work in the mall for years Mm. uh, for another company. And so I, I knew the management and they had... When I figured out that that was going to be open, they said, look, we'll give it to you for X amount and you, you know, but you got to understand that you're out in that amount of time. But we thought it would be great exposure. So we just popped in there and and did our thing for as long as we could. And actually it was really positive because we did get a lot of exposure. You know, a lot of people were walking through that mall at the time. Yeah, it was, it was the old arcade. It was, it was, it was fun. That was a good time too. Oh, and I love the unconventional means of that. I love the fact that I would go and walk past like a JC Penny wearing my gi, which of course is the the grappling outfit that right. how would you describe a gi? It's like pajamas. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> pajamas with a belt. Yeah. So I, I enter into this you're nervous, you're you're like I was nineteen and you're gonna move to college and my parents actually flew back to Germany to go. So they were going to be 5,000 miles away and you want community. You want friendship. You want to know that you're going to be okay. And I walked in and there was this, I mean, how tall are you? Six foot? Six one. Okay. You're six. You're only six one, but you is this shaved head guy that was muscled with, with tattoos and you're going, but so friendly and so kind and everybody there was very humble and immediately i think i think i went to the intro the free introductory class and then i think i signed up for the back then it was the blue belt package thus began a huge part of my life that changed really college in general for me that changed that identity but with my entry into that i want to know how did you get there how did you go and and end up teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in a shopping mall. Well, I actually was first exposed. I had a birthday roll around one year, and, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and, and I was still looking for Jiu-Jitsu. And just randomly, there was two blue belts teaching Jiu-Jitsu in Smyrna. So I went and did some classes down there. You know, these guys are still around. I'm still friends with them. And I, I think I did like three months how old are you here just to place it? 26. 26, okay. yeah. Started late. And so, I, man, I just went in there and got my butt handed to me every day. You know, it was so frustrating. But I, I was immediately hooked. And it was an intimidating environment to walk into. You know, these guys in there, they're wearing their geese. And they have patches all over their geese. I don't know why. It was like we do now. 
Sure. You know, that's just, it's just been the thing. Like most of the time you want to be sponsored, but people just slap patches all over their geese just because they can. We, you know, jujitsu is kind of like that. You know, you get to express yourself. There's an intimidating environment to walk into, but I couldn't stop coming. And the funny thing was the instructor was like, we, we understand if you don't come back, most people don't. And he told me this like every day. And I was like, I would go home like, I'm just, not, you're just not going to get me to quit. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be another one of your statistics <laughs> that doesn't come back into class. So that, that was my first experience. It was a great experience too, because I didn't know anything. The instructor at the time, his name's Tommy Wales. I believe he has a school in, in Florida now, but he, he, I think went back into the military. Something happened to classes shut down. So I had a period where I didn't, I wasn't doing anything. Then I found out about some guys doing judo in a garage. And I was like, well, well, grappling's grappling. At least I'll get to do some jujitsu. Right. So we went in there two days a week for about a year. And then I went and did a tournament in Nashville. And when I went and did a tournament, there was this uh, Brazilian guy walking around with glasses and, and, uh, apparently he was the black belt that they had brought in for Nashville MMA and his name's Luis Paul Harris. I did the tournament. Um, I did well. I placed. And this is a jujitsu tournament. Yeah, it was a jujitsu tournament. And you don't even have a coach per se. No, I don't have a coach. I didn't have a, a belt. I a just, team. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I just went in there. Just I loved it. You know what I mean? And I was like, I want to see. And you have to realize there was nobody around at the time doing it. Mm. So, there, you know, there was schools. Every martial arts school put jujitsu on their ads. And, but it was, it would be like, because why? Because they could teach a choke or an armbar, right? So, anyways, I, I did the tournament and I met Louise, and I and I came back and I was telling the guys, I was like, "Look, dude, there's a, I think he was a fifth degree black belt at the time, and teaching in Nashville. I'm gonna go down there and and I'm gonna start learning, and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna show you guys what I learned." The ju- the judo garage guys. Yeah, yeah. It didn't go well. They weren't real happy that I was gonna go somewhere else and learn. So what ended up happening was a few guys went with me. And I went and started teaching at a Taekwondo school. So I would go and I would learn four days a week. I spoke to Louise. He said, yes, I could satellite under him. He gave me my requirements. And, and you know, I like attendance was one. And doing one-on-one lessons was with him was one. And so what I would do is I would, I would drive down there four days a week. And then I would come back and I would teach three days a week. I would go down there and learn on the Tuesday, Thursdays. And hit like the first class and then immediately drive back so I could catch my classes on the on the on the Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it just it just kind of grew from there. It was interesting teaching because I was I was a white belt teaching classes. And I remember people coming in for the classes because we were advertising. And I remember a guy coming in one time and he's like, So is white belt the first or the 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 highest rank in jujitsu? And I was like, No, <laughs> no, it's it's the first belt you get. And the, the look lowest. on his face, yeah. The look on his face is like so why are you out here? You know, but no one was teaching it. The beauty of that, it was, that was difficult because you could, you can't get students like that. But the beauty was, is that 16 years later, I have 16 years of experience being on the mat, bumping my own head, learning how to teach. I still have a long ways to go. I'm glad that I got all of that experience all at one time. So I, I went from like the Taekwondo school there's always this tension between like jujitsu guys and like traditional martial arts schools. And it, it just never, it just never felt at home. Right? Why, why do you think that is? You know, I, honestly, man, I think it's because most people just, people want to arrive at a place. Mm. 
So you've spent your entire life doing this thing. And then someone's going to come in along and tell you that there's the big hole in it. And you need to fill it. Well, then that means they got to go back to square one somewhere. And, and I think as human beings, we think we're going to graduate high school. We're going to graduate college. We're going to get a job. We're going to arrive at a place. We're going to have a home. We're going to get to this place where things just are and we don't have to try anymore. We're done. Right. And life is just not like that. Life is a journey. And, and I think uh, I think when you expose those things, people have two choices. They can either put their nose back to the grindstone. Or they can put the blinders on. And I think most people just want to put the blinders on, you know? They just want to believe that they are somewhere. Yeah, your your self-image is threatened by... So what you're describing is ty- striking arts. Arts where you've, you've practiced your whole life and you have a blueprint for how you would handle yourself in a fight. And then there's this guy that comes in that says, well, what happens if somebody tackles you to the ground, which we know statistically happens <laughs> more often than not, more yeah. than not. Yeah. And you realize all the ideas of what, and this could apply, like you say, to multiple areas of life, all the ideas of who you thought you would be, who you thought you were, are now called into question. And I think that's what's so cool about your path. You were a learner. You were a student and a teacher. Literally at the same time, right? From from day one, and I'm curious. You know, your your website says Cliff Fonseca is one of the first to. This is going to be a spoiler alert. P.S. <laughs> one of the first two Americans to go from white belt to black belt under the instructor in under the instruction of Master Luis Palajares. So you you did it. You made it. But what was this guy like? You know, you you meet this guy. You're a hundred percent representing yourself and you dive in. What, what was he like? I oh, man, Lou, Louise was really, really cool, really unassuming, but at the same time he was, he's real friendly. Like if you get to know Louise, Louise, it, he becomes family or you become family. Right. It's I, I think more, more accurate because Louise looks at all of his, as his people as, as his own. You know, and like he he really grows to love the people that he's been around. I've been around him for a long time. So he's he's a wonderful person. He's he's someone that everyone should get to know. And at the time, you know, I, I he struck me as very friendly, very professional. And at the same time, you know, he had a standard that you were going to meet immediately. There was no question about it. He, he wasn't the type of person that you just he wasn't going to bend for you. And, and you you I guess you, you respected him immediately. But you it was easy to do because he was he was such a nice guy you know and so he kind of guided me through through everything I mean I I competed for years you know we went from we went from that taekwondo school we went to the mall that's where we went next. that was the next step that was the next step was the mall at that point I was you know well on my way with Louise I think I was a purple belt I think you were a purple belt so there's a lot of grinding in between there yeah Yeah, several years from white belt at the taekwondo school to purple belt at in, in the mall and I had been competing like every month, every other month. Louise was always there. He loved it. He loves competition. He was a competitor. Mm. So, you know, he loves to travel around and coach and watch his guys. I, I just don't think you ever see him happier. The, the pride that you see in his eyes. So I, I got to do that. I traveled. I mean, the jujitsu showed me the country, you know, showed me the country that I live in. I, I had only seen a few states before jujitsu and it showed me almost all of it. Right. And I got to do that with him. 
you know, I got to follow this guy around to California, to Chicago, to, you know, all these places and, and compete. And then I got to meet all these people. You know, he introduced me to Carlson Gracie, to Hicks and Gracie, he, Higa Machado, Carlinos Gracie. He, he, he introduced me to so many people that he just opened up the jujitsu world to me, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll forever be grateful for that. And, and, you know, every day I just try to make him proud, mm-hmm. you know, everything that I'm doing. I just, you know, I know that he's watching and I just, you know, hope that, that, that he sees the hard work that we put in. Cause you know, it, my life changed completely because of jujitsu. That, that's how we ended up in the mall. And, I, and I'm still with Louise. Uh, last year, I took a trip with him. We went to Germany. Mm, um, where? We, we taught all over the place. Yeah. Wow. All over. We, we taught at like 11 different towns. So we literally started at the bottom in uh, Munich. Mm-hmm. And we did we literally did like a circle all the way around Germany and taught all these seminars. So I, I, I every day was driving. Yeah, and, you know, hit the spot, do the thing, sleep, get up, do it again. You know, we'd have a few days. I had a few days in Berlin, you know, me and him walking around. For checking fun, out the sites. exploring. Yeah, sure. We had plenty of time to do that. We we stayed in a castle. Yeah, it was it was super cool. Uh, we had a few days there and it was amazing because like we would drive down this river. I wish I could remember all the names. I'm not very good with these details, but we were, we were driving down this river and there's literally all these little towns, town after town after town, right? And there's a castle above each one of yeah. them, and yeah. and the the history behind that is so amazing because like we they have castles like we have Starbucks, yeah, and it's all of those are vastly older than the entire country right. of America, yeah. And if you were to get on your bike, that's one of the cool things is you can ride your bike anywhere. You don't have to. You can truly be like Kung Fu in the TV show where you strap a backpack on and just start walking. You'll end up in a town with its own fish festival that they've had for 100 years. That's 100% unique to the next village that has an asparagus festival. That actually was a thing over there. They get real big on their asparagus. But I, I want to talk about that. It's it's really cool that you've. This is the classic hero's journey where you feel this pull to this this quest to do something different. And a lot of people sometimes they run into the same obstacles you did. There weren't many options, and yet you, during this time at age twenty six, twenty seven, were you working? Uh, full-time jobs while driving and how did that work i was doing electrical work for a long time but mm-hmm. that it, it was a lot of different things like if there was a if there was a hole with a rock in it and they needed it out like they stuck me in the hole with a jackhammer <laughs> like i was i was good at manual labor for the wrong reasons yeah i mean it, i was just a physical person so right. it, was, it was easy to just put me in a place and make me do the work you know and 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 i actually thrived on that physical aspect of the work but i, I looked at the people around me and I, I just really did not like what i saw and i didn't like the end game right mm. you know where so, it where it's headed eventually sure i, I looked at the people who had been in there 10 15 20 years and where they had arrived at that point i was just like that's i want more than that and i and i want to feel like i'm contributing to society in some form or fashion. I want to feel fulfilled, you know, for myself. I, I was doing all this work, man, I would work 60 hours a week, wow. manual labor out in the sun. And then I would, I would oftentimes I would try to rush home with just enough time to like sneak in a 30 minute nap, 45 minute nap, which helped a lot. And then I would hit those classes and I, and I averaged 14 to 16 hours of jujitsu a week. 
while working while 60 working. hours. While working. Yeah. And, and a lot of times my students do not understand where I'm coming from. And I'm like, I've done it. Yeah. I don't have time. Sorry, coach. To And you're like. Yeah. I like you do have time. You just need to sit out. And, and what happened with me was somebody sat down with a pen and a paper one time. And they're like, you know, you keep saying you don't have time. Let's sit down. They sat down. They're like, how many hours do you sleep? I wrote that down for seven days. How many hours do you work? Uh, how many hours do you commute? You know, how many hours do you spend at the grocery store? All these things. And what every single time, and I've done this with other people since then, and every single time there would be like 30 something hours unaccounted for. Like, what am I doing with myself? Yeah. You know, the, the time is there. It's just a matter of, of making it happen. And that's that whole action thing. You just put your body in motion. You, you make it happen. So, so I did. And there became a point where I just had to let it all go. Uh, I went through a divorce. And so the, the job that where I was working at the time was also my father-in-law. So I walked away from all of it at the same time. Yeah. And from that point, I just focused on jujitsu full time. I had to do like odd jobs to eat and, and things like that. But really all I focused on was making sure I had a, a dry place to sleep and food. And then I, I scrounged up as much money as I could to be competing and things like that. And my focus was to, to build a school. So I, I, I did it the hard way. You know what I mean? I did it. It wasn't easy and wasn't. There was nothing that was, wasn't given to me and anything that was given to me was, was given back, you know, and I try to uh, project that to, to my students, especially to my younger students who, who are coming up. Uh, they, they have it easy because I, I almost give it to them, but I, I make them work for it, you know, but it was, I wouldn't change it. You know? The path, the, the rod, the rough path that you walked. Right. Because otherwise, what story would I tell people? Mm. You know, I mean, how could I, and uh, because I want to inspire people and motivate people that like life is not just sitting in a cubicle because very often we live the lives that we've been told to live, you know, and, and we, we don't go out into the world and try to figure out who we are and what makes us happy. And that changes, you know what I mean? And that, man, that's a quest in itself. And I think it's a lifelong quest. I think along the way you start to accumulate things that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. You realize, you know what, this is just a part of who I am. And, and you keep that thing. And you go through life and you try other stuff and you 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 lose some things and you gain some things. And and man, jujitsu has centered me from day one. Jujitsu gave me a, a path and a purpose and a and a reason to wake up in the morning. Even before I I knew that this was what I was gonna do. You know, at one time I was just addicted to the thing, which is going out there on the mats and, and trying to choke somebody. And and I'm highly competitive, so that probably kept me going. It's taught me so much along the way. It's it's been an incredible journey so far. So and I and I feel like it I feel like all we have to talk about is the beginning. Even at this point, I feel like it's still the beginning. And I don't feel like I'm in the middle of the journey. I feel like I'm I've just gotten started. And I think that's a great mindset for anybody that is consistently wanting to self-improve because like you said, one of the things at the very beginning of this was the idea that we want to end up in a place where we've arrived. We've got the things, maybe the people in our lives, the partner, we had the kids, we got the, the good enough job. And it's this desire for this, this place to get to this future, this destination. And one of the, the things you've been really talking about right now is the inertia we can end so easily up in inertia where 
we are living a life where there, there are these pulls towards other, but we may not even know the direction to go next. And yet you saw this 160 something pound guy defeat and survive bigger men, not only survive, but beat them. And you went to this class and you said pretty much immediately you loved it. Maybe you didn't know that this is where your life was going to go, but I think so many people have a hard time identifying that thing that they love that much talk in whatever direction you want to go with that. But that first initial love, how soon did that come? What did it look like? What was it? Talk about that because I think so many of us are yearning for that place. Cause that's the starting place. Yeah. I, it was immediate. You know, when I first saw the UFC and then I was watching pride and I was watching every event I could get. And you know, back then we, we couldn't just like turn on the computer and watch YouTube. You know, we, we had to like, seek this stuff out mm-hmm. and it was often like kind of expensive for a dvd now, they knew it they knew they were hard to get a hold of which was fine but and then finding people who had some they were limited you know like so when something was released it wasn't like you could just keep getting it now once it was gone it was gone so for me i had a it was just an immediate interest like i would watch all of them even though it wasn't available you know i, w- I would just look from time to time and how was anyone teaching this very often what I would find is like some karate school that, you know, and they would have like a class. And, and when I would watch, you could just tell that the instructors were just uninformed, you know. And, and so they were just they were just trying to use the word, the term jujitsu to pull students in. Even my first class, they kept scheduling me for karate classes. And I was like, I, I don't I'm not coming here for karate. I, I came here for the jujitsu. When are the jujitsu classes? I, I don't, I came to like karate for like the first week until so I was just looked at the guy and I was like, this is not what I want. This is, I, I wanted to do the, the jujitsu classes. So the love for martial arts was already there. And then, so then seeing something that I had not yet been exposed to that I really, really wanted to check out. And then when I finally saw, okay, there's somebody teaching that first experience was real. It was, it was immediate. Like I said, I was, I was hooked from day one, from the first class. Even though you got your butt whipped, like you said. Yeah. I was just like, man, I want to be those guys. Mm. Because I had guys that were smaller than me. Just Tommy Wales. I don't want to miss, misquote his weight here, but I would have (laughs) to say this dude probably walks around on like a 165, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe lighter. And this dude was just wrecking me every single day. And, you know, they just kept telling me, you're either going to quit or you're going to keep coming and you're going to figure it out. And I kept coming. And the my first year was just me getting my boat whipped. And it was it was not an easy process for me. It was not something that I picked up easily because I was not in the kind of shape for it. You know, I had a little bit of a belly. And it's not normal. It's not natural moving around on the floor like you have to develop that. Unless you've done some other sports that have given you that core strength and, and things like that. So, yeah, for me, it was it was immediate, uh, especially after my first class. It was it was an interest for a long time as when when it wasn't available, you know, I was watching everything. But then as soon as I could take that first class and then when I got in with Louise, it was just I was all in. Well, I want to talk about that, because if if we're following your life as the classic hero's journey, then one of the aspects is that you encounter the teacher, right? You encounter the master who's in Kill Bill, Pai Mei, Yoda, 
it looks a lot of Obi-Wan. It looks a lot of different ways in our culture, but you encounter this character. And one of the things that I know enough about having trained for the two years or so that I did is that although learning how to be those guys, the quote unquote, those guys who are in, in the example you were giving are the ones that do the choking out that do the, the tapping of other people. In other words, the people that know what is the, the great quote, I am a shark and nobody knows how to swim. One, right. uh, uh, I don't remember who exactly. One of the great. I, I think it was one of Machado's. That ah, said that, yeah. Okay. So learning how to swim is this process, but it's not exactly glamorous learning how. Like you do a lot of actual competing with people. That's one of the great things about jujitsu is that you actually get to test it in a lab of going almost full speed as you roll with as we call it rolling, but learning how to do moves and learning how to get really good at those is a lot of grinding and drilling and it's a lot of small pieces to an uh, overall picture that's complicated. But how do you deal? How did you deal with the fact that you had so much to learn, and a lot of it does not look pretty? It's not necessarily exciting. It's a lot of learning little things and doing it a thousand times. You know, I mean, for me, it was just obvious from the beginning. Like it was just the the control that you had over another person. You know, it's like like what I said earlier about controlling that other person without hurting yourself or without hurting them. So that's what, what fascinated me about jujitsu. And then, you know, learning like to choke people and things like that, that that I think the, the, the choking part was probably one of the things that I really, really uh, was interested in. In the beginning, like that was my thing. That was my aim was to uh, learn every choke. You know, to me, that just seemed like it made the most sense. And my my knowledge was limited then, but it was just like, I think I really held on to everyone goes to sleep with the choke. You know, it doesn't matter. And you're saying, <clears throat> as opposed to going for arm locks and lately, right. you were more interested in, in chokes to any particular reason why? Yeah, just just because of the of the quote, you know, everyone goes to sleep with the choke. You know, you can yeah. teach a five-year-old to choke somebody out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but you can't teach a, a five-year-old to punch someone in the face and knock them out because they just don't have the ability. Ex but yeah. yeah, the smallest person can do it. And so that's, I think that's why I really focused on that in the beginning. I've always hated drilling. I've always hated drilling. I still hate drilling. It's absolutely necessary and I do it, uh, but I don't enjoy it at all. You know, there's, but there's, there's aspects of, of getting ready for something that you're not going to enjoy, but it's the being ready that you enjoy. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta make yourself go through the motions, but I, I think that's with it, with anything, you know? So, you know, I would go in there and, and basically I was the type of student that when Louise was watching, he was always watching and he was watching the people who worked the hardest. Right. So you stood out in his mind. If you were constantly competing, if you were in class every day, if you were working hard, if you had a great attitude, if you were coachable, and, and with him, you have to realize, too, that I was learning jujitsu with a little bit of a language barrier. So, like, now I, I have friends who teach, and they, they're amazing teachers. Uh, they're the way that they expl explain everything. With Louise, it was a very brief few verbal cues, like, we're here, we're here, we're here. All right, guys, go. And that's how I learned jujitsu. And so you, it was really all about getting out there and just 
trying to figure out what it was he just showed you. Because <laughs> even that's not, he speaks Portuguese as right. his primary language, yeah. Brazilian guy. So Yeah, and so if, 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 we, if I spoke Portuguese, I'm sure the instruction would be very detailed. But since his vocabulary was limited, you know, you really had to pay attention to what he was doing. And so I, you really had to watch. You, you couldn't just listen. Listening almost didn't. You could have just plugged your ears and just watched, you know, and he would come around and, and correct you and stuff like that. But because the the explanation wasn't so in depth, the drilling was absolutely crucial and then applying it immediately. So so every class that I did, I would go in and I would drill the technique. I would, I would do my best to understand it. I always did everything very, very slowly which I only learned later through reading is the, actually the best way to do anything is very slowly. hundred percent. Yeah. And then I would immediately try to be successful with that technique that night, which is hard because everyone just did it. And so they know they're aware that it may be coming. But my thing was, if I can hit it tonight when everyone has just seen it, I think I understand it a mm. little bit. And then usually those techniques became an immediate part of my game because I was instantly a believer in them because it was something that I could execute on the first night. That's such a, I guess we should give a lot of people who are listening might be in this community, but the way a typical Brazilian jiu-jitsu class is structured is you, you warm up, of course, you then learn a technique from the teacher and then you drill it. And then the final part is sparring, right? Is, is trying to apply. And that's the beauty. Again, you talked about the truth in the cage, the truth this is the truth of jiu-jitsu, too. It, luckily, one of the great things about jiu-jitsu is that you are not at least intentionally getting punched in the head. Stuff happens as you're rolling around and moving. But this ability to test what it is you really know every night, that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you either instantly become a believer or you instantly are aware of all of your deficiencies, right? So, I mean, you... When you're successful, that becomes a part of who you are. And and you can cross-reference that with everything in life. Small victories lead to confidence, which leads to larger victories. Jiu-jitsu is that process over and over and over. But you're going to be, you're going to, like Jordan, you're going to miss more shots than you make. But it, it doesn't matter. That's that's the process. You got to take the shots. You have to miss them to hit them. That is the process every single night. Every single night you're you're learning and then you're attempting and then you're either successful or you're not. And if you're not, why? And your jujitsu teaches you to ask questions. Mm. It teaches you to be skeptical. It teaches you to be open-minded. It teaches you that you're going to fail a lot before you're successful. And and I just think that's priceless. And I just don't think that there's a lot of other things out there that have that process that provide that opportunity and that experience for you. And jujitsu does it all. It, it's beautiful. There's so many, like you say, ways that this applies to the larger aspects of life because we can, I think you're absolutely right that it is so unique because in most other areas, we can maintain a self-image of a, I am a blank kind of person. Uh, in jujitsu, you constantly are kind of duct taping it, taping it back. And then you're like, whoa, I, I, I am pretty like I can or you see. So you see people that have that constant self-improvement that are OK with the uncomfortable procedure of continual failing. 
And then you see other people, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I was guilty of this, that get good at a few things or they have an athletic component that is very useful to them and they try to stay in that safe zone of using the same stuff that kind of works as opposed to trying, like you said, you would learn a technique and even though everybody in the room knew that everybody else had just learned it, you would try to use it right there. You would take chances. You would take that risk. You're going to dive into areas that you're weak, right? And everyone should, but most people don't. Most people display that avoidance behavior Mm -hmm. and they're like, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And then they don't. Whereas me being uncomfortable is always, I feel that that's my sign. That's my gut telling me that's where I should go. Mm. You know, but if I'm comfortable looking down the path, then I need to go ahead and, and, and make some turns because I don't, I don't want to be comfortable. I want to grow. So I, I've focused on areas that were just not areas that, you know, like the inverted guard, things like that. A lot of like Barambolo stuff, which, which absolutely can be used in any weight class, but they were areas that I weren't, that I was not comfortable with. And so I dove into them and I worked them for years, like two years straight. I worked uh, my open guard and stuff. It was really weak. I had the mindset that I didn't have the mindset that I'm going to master this, that that open guard is now going to be my thing. My, my, my goal was like, I'm, I'm going to push at this as though I'm going to master it, knowing that what I'm going to do is I'm only going to mend uh, and I'm only going to build on some of my weaknesses. Right. And, and I think that that honesty with myself uh, allows me to push forward. And I think that, that the students who are honest with themselves can put themselves in situations that uh, they're not comfortable with, you know, because they understand that 1% concept mm-hmm. of, of just that 1% better, you know, that I, that I have a hole here that needs to be filled. And, the, and again, all of that gets, that's, gets cross-referenced through life. You know what I mean? Again, it's a jujitsu just keeps teaching the, you know, those lessons and I, and I've used them over and over again. I jujitsu follows me through every decision I make in, in my life in business and anything else that I do. If it looks warm and fuzzy, I stay away from it. And then if it looks scary, then I just go that way because scary means that I'm going to stretch myself and I'm going to grow. And there's no telling where I'm going to find myself warm and fuzzy. You can see the end of the street. Mm, it's right. like, you know, it's like a cul-de-sac predictable. You know, you know what's there. Yeah. Can you name an example of applying that in life off the mat? Sure. I mean, my, my business has, has grown steadily since I started and th- there's been several times when it's been time to expand and um, I remember one time the opportunity came and it wasn't because I was ready. Uh, it was because the suite next to me had opened up and the landlord called me and said, hey, this guy's gone. You got two weeks to decide what you want to do if you want it. And I was not ready. Financially, I was not ready. Uh, but I was I knew that I was going to need the extra space and I jumped on it. And then I wanted to vomit for two weeks. <laughs> I mean, I really, that's, that's how I felt. I was so stressed. I was so sick to my stomach over it, but I, but I work well under pressure. And, and I learned that through jujitsu that I work well under pressure. I put myself out in competition because it scared me, not because I was good at it. I put it out there. I, I walked out onto the competition mats because I was, I was scared to death. It, it bothered me. 
it still does. I get, I get so nervous to walk out on the competition mat. So, I mean, these are kind of my cues, you know, I do it because there's, there's something to learn from there. If it's easy. And like I said, if it's warm and fuzzy and it's in your comfort zone, you're, you're, you're not, you don't just don't get much out of it. If I went to every tournament and I just smoked everybody all the time, I don't know that it would be fun for me as mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I would love to stand on top of the podium a lot. I would love to be world champion. Don't get me wrong, but the, the process has been, it, it, it's probably something that's just been repeated over and over in my, in my life. And maybe that is my comfort zone. Hmm. Interesting. The discomfort yeah. cave. Yeah. 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 I'm used to fighting. Yeah. And so maybe I, I like the fight and I'm not comfortable unless I am fighting. And that, that, that could be part of it. I hope you enjoyed part one with Cliff Fonseca. One of the topics that we continued to discuss and which will continue into part two is this notion of truth of really knowing who you are and that jujitsu is such a incredibly turbulent yet beautiful avenue into truth because you just can't fake when you grapple with someone. And this is a great metaphor for life. So if listening to part one has really spurred your interest and you would like to check out Jiu-Jitsu Nation, as promised, here is a code. The code is TRUTH. If you go into Jiu-Jitsu Nation and you use the code word TRUTH, you will get the 30 free days and that's a way of offering your own curriculum in jiu-jitsu. So again, that code word is truth. If you want to reach out to me, I am considering doing a Q&A episode coming up. So you can reach me at Aaron at EpicOrdinaryLives.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at EpicOrdinaryLives.com. This conversation might make you, if you're a parent, interested in checking out the after-school program available at Jiu-Jitsu Nation. You can find that and more information by going to onejujitsunation.com. That is the numeral one, jujitsunation.com. And if you would like to find Cliff on social media, his Instagram is at Random BJJ Black Belt. Next week, I will be offering part two of my conversation with Cliff Fonseca. So look to that this coming Tuesday. And otherwise, have a great week. Take care.